This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Hello and welcome back to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olet Stonechab, and I'm very excited as always for today's episode. But I have to say, I was a little bit nervous because I have known Tanya Talaga's work for what I feel has been my entire life. Actually, no, I'm pretty sure it has been my entire life. Uh, Tanya Talaga is an Anishinaabe Canadian journalist and author, and she worked as a journalist at the Toronto Star for over 20 years, covering health, education, local issues, and investigations. She now works for the Globe and Mail, and her 2017 book, Seven Fallen Feathers, Racism, Death, and Hard Truths in a Northern City, won quite a bit of awards. Not only that, but she holds an honorary doctorate from Lakehead University and I was introduced to her Audible original series back in December of 2020 when I teamed up with Audible and if you haven't listened to that series it's called Seven Truths and it intertwines Canadian history and the injustices we face as Indigenous people but also in the present day and she intertwines a bit of the seven uh, sacred teaching. It was a really beautiful series, and so I invite you after today's episode to also download and to support her work. This week's episode of Matriarch Movement is brought to you by our partners at Louvre Design. Louvre is a socially responsible fashion retailer and manufacturer specializing in sustainable women's clothing, with all pieces made and designed right here in Canada. You know, I support women like it's my day job. And Louvre is 100% female-owned and female-led, which is an A-plus in my books. Finding sustainable clothing that doesn't break the bank is literally not easy, but Louvre has set out to change that. Even better, you can be sure that everyone Louvre works with are getting fair wages, and we know how important it is to bridge the gender wage gap. All the clothing is as comfortable as your yoga gear, but chic enough to wear on your next Zoom call with modern staples and playful prints that you'll literally want to wear every single day. Check out Louvre for yourself at louvedesign.com. That's L-O-U-V-E design.com and get free shipping on your next order with the code Shayla Shipping, all one word at checkout. Hi, hi. Without further ado, I have Tanya Talaga. It's so great to meet you and I'm coming to you today from Tuckeronto. Awesome. Yeah, I'm based on the unceded Coast Salish territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people of Vancouver. I've been here for like eight years. I'm curious, did you grow up um, in Toronto or where did you grow up? Mm-hmm. I did. I grew up just outside of Toronto. Um, I was born in Scarborough, um, and then I um, moved with my family to Markham. Um, yeah, and I have always kind of been here. Um, my mom is from the traditional territory of Fort William First Nation. Excuse me, and my dad was Polish. So then you get me. So I've heard you speak a little bit and you always say that you're walking in two worlds. And so does that feel like the a way to explain also your identity or is that just how you explain your journalism and also being Indigenous? Um, I think 
two out of those three, the first two out of those three, for sure. Um, I think that when you grow up outside of community, um, you know, when you um, grow up in Toronto specifically, um, especially in the 70s and the 80s, um, there was not a lot of um, recognition of Indigenous identity whatsoever. Um, You know, Toronto is a pretty crazy vast place and there's lots of lots of people here from all over and you know when I tell people that I was uh, a native and Polish they would look at me like I had 25 heads like no one mm. like a lot of people didn't know what Ujibwe was or is and didn't really understand um, mm-hmm. like growing up definitely um, yeah definitely I was the only one in the room for sure I know um, you're speaking of growing up, but I imagine even now uh, you being a journalist and you have um, having done so many things in your career. Do you often feel like sometimes you are still the only uh, native person in the room? Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, I mean, it's getting a little bit better, but not really. (laughs) That was going to be my next question. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest. Yeah, it is. I mean, like we still... We're, we're, you know, the Journalists for Human Rights Indigenous Reporting Program, like we look at uh, gains we've made in the mainstream media, for example, in newsrooms, and those gains are very few and far between. Um, We have so few of our people, not just as journalists, but as editors, as Mm -hmm. managing editors, as people that are making the decisions, as executive directors, on boards. And that's where we need to be. I mean, it's it's great if we've got writers and editors, but that's just the thin edge. Yeah, uh, you would have to say like more, I guess, within the networks, we need more Indigenous representation there. Um, I have... Yeah, I, I, I kind of see that through hosting um, a show on ABTN and through my brother's work on Trickster. Um, you kind of don't realize it until you start working a little bit behind the scenes. Then then you notice how ingrained like um, white supremacy is maybe within the networks itself, even though there's calls to action. And I believe it's written in the Truth and Reconciliation um, report that they need to increase Indigenous representation. And so to hear that it hasn't even really made that much of a mark is, I mean, not surprising. Uh, what what would your advice be for maybe a younger Indigenous person who's wanting to make a shift within the industry, within the networks itself? Mm. Um, well, right now is a good time to forge ahead with those careers and and try to make those shifts because people are now really trying to um to make accommodations right and you know like the the trc um uh i think it was was it 61 to 63 i'm sorry i should know that but i think that's those are the uh, recommendations that deal with media and um they are easy to follow you know this is not wrong it's um, examine your newsrooms, look at who's doing the reporting, look at who's making the decisions. And um, I think that this is a great time for our people to get into the business and to, you know, forge ahead and push ahead and push mm-hmm. it a little bit, you know, because um, when they're, when we, um, um, when we started years ago, we were just happy to be there. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. um, now what we can do is push 
for change and push mm -hmm. for greater recognition of our issues and what they truly are and explain them out. You know, oftentimes you get editors saying to you, well, that's all that context isn't important, but it actually is really important. Like we need mm -hmm. to know about the impact and about residential school in more than a sentence to frame mm -hmm. a lot of things that we write. Yeah, you can explain uh, the history of Canada in one sentence. I agree. And so that moves on to my next question is, uh, what do you think is a tangible action that non-Indigenous people can do to support and uplift and amplify Indigenous voices if they are in positions of power? Um, if they are in positions of power, bring people in, you know, bring, um, bring interns in, bring students in bring writers in, bring elders into newsrooms, you know, introduce newsrooms to the community that they're in. Um, and that's a hard thing too, you know, I'm going to say. Um, oftentimes when you're the first of anything, you have to be an educator. So you're mm -hmm. educating. You know, if you're the only Indigenous person in a newsroom, everyone's going to be coming up to you all the time. Um, mm -hmm. Contact because for some reason they think we all know each other. You know, and they could go up to you and ask you for, you know, someone's contact over here or over there. And, you know, you have to explain, well, actually, no, I don't know anything about the Squamish Nation. Um, but, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, uh, I'm not I'm Anishinaabe. It, no, it's different. Totally. But it's, it's a constant dialogue and you're constantly um, educating yeah, I can definitely feel that. I've been partnering with a lot more brands recently, and I often feel like I am the only Indigenous person. And so I always say, you know, I'm only one person. I don't represent everyone. And I feel like for me, I go through a lot of fatigue and burnout of having to educate and say the same things. And so do you also find yourself burnt out from repeating the same information? And if you do feel burnt out, how do you uh, make sure you reclaim your power? What are the some ways that you um, come back into your authenticity and your truth? Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I step in and out a little bit, you know, um, I left the Toronto star. Um, goodness. Uh, over a year and a half ago now, um, this fall, I guess, will be, or this December, it'll be two years. And um, at that point, though, I had already been taking longer leaves, you know, to write uh, both my books and to be an Atkinson Fellow. So I was kind of stepping in and out. Um, and while I was doing that, it was, you take a breather from the newsroom and having to be that person that's always um, educating and answering questions the go-to person, right? Um, and so that to me helped a lot um, with recharging and sort of refocusing my energies and where they needed to be and in which direction I needed to go in. Thank you, hi hi, to our friends at Louvre Design for supporting this episode. As a yoga teacher and a spiritual revolution activist, my whole being is rooted in wellness, but not just of the body and spirit. Protecting indigenous culture means protecting the land we belong to. The fashion industry is one of the most important sources of waste on our planet, but Louvre has set out to prove that sustainable fashion can be the norm. Protecting the planet, the people, and the animals are values most important to Louvre, and I stand firmly behind them. 
25% of the pieces are actually made with upcycled fabrics and the remainder of the fabrics are made with renewable materials like organic cotton, bamboo, modal, and tensile. This is the comfy modern brand you can be proud to wear. Don't forget to visit louvedesign.com, that's L-O-U-V-E design.com, and get free shipping on your next order with the code Shayla Shipping, all one word, at checkout. Mm-hmm. And what is the process like when you are uh, producing a podcast or producing a book? I'm one... I'm curious how much time actually goes into this because this is like your whole career. And so it's been a lifelong journey. And so did you know you wanted to be a writer and a journalist when you were younger? And then what is the process that goes into writing uh, or or producing a podcast? Um, <laughs> you could probably tell me more about podcasting with your show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, writing a book is hard. Um, but it's always what I wanted to do ever since I was little, I always wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually never wanted to really be in front of the camera. I find that really difficult. And writing to me, um, sharing stories and telling stories was more to who I am. Um, so especially being a print reporter, um, it was so easy to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're not on TV, um, you're not even on radio. It's just, um, you're kind of the quiet person that's doing their writing and you know doing all that's that's actually really me um and so in writing book is hard um i always knew i would write about uh the seven fallen feathers um but it took me a while to get there and my process i don't know if yours is like this but i think a lot about something like i keep something in my head for a long time i go over it like so many times my my brain's always working mm-hmm. and then when I usually to sit down to write it it's often quicker because mm-hmm. i've been thinking thinking about it a really long time <laughs> where do you get your uh inspiration from definitely um from the north uh from uh, communities that i know uh, the community i'm a part of um i am um I think it's fair to say that all my my writing comes from um, in and around Lake Superior, mm-hmm. uh, in and around um, the territory of my my mom's homelands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a special place. It's where um, um, just outside of Thunder Bay, it's about an hour outside of Thunder Bay, and it's where um, the Arctic watershed is. So it's where all the rivers and the lakes and streams on the continent split. Mm. Um, flow north or they flow south um yeah it's uh that's that the people recharge me community recharges me the land mm-hmm. yeah the land, I'm feeling it like i don't know about you but during covid it's like i haven't been able to go up north you know it's mm-hmm. like we're in this crazy lockdown in toronto that we never seem to be able to get out of mm-hmm. and so you can't go to the land. Mm-hmm. I was just saying that I was just in Toronto briefly for a shoot. And I was, I was like, I feel for every person that's living in Toronto right now. Cause I'm in Vancouver. And so I'm literally four blocks away from the ocean and nature. And I get to ground myself and recharge every day. And 
I know the pandemic, a lot of us are stuck inside. And so how has the pandemic been for you? Have you been able to get a lot of work done or has it totally shifted um, your career? Uh, I have been able to get a lot of work done um, because it, uh, I had to as well. Like I had the seven truths. I sort of dove into seven truths. Like mm-hmm. I was, uh, I'll never forget. It was March 12th. I was just finishing up four, um, excuse me, interviews in Thunder Bay with Jolene Banning, who worked with me and uh, Debbie Pacheo uh, as well, who worked with me on the podcast. We just finished. I was sitting on a plane and um, we had the recordings in the bag. And I remember looking on my Twitter and I saw all of these um, tweets about lockdown, lockdown, like, you know, a pandemic and what was going on. And the world just changed overnight. Um, And I kind of dove into the seven truths and the seven grandfather teachings. And that was really good for me. Um, You know, I speak to Sam Ashton, the elder in seven truths every day. Mm. Uh, And I have a dog. Yeah. (laughs) For a walk like multiple times a day. And honestly, my dog has saved me. Mm -hmm. You know, animals. Animals like ground you. I was told to get a dog, but I think I I travel too much. So I don't think I should get one until I'm absolutely ready. Um, And so your career has obviously you've been in the business for, I don't know, how many years did you say? Like 20 years? Six months. (laughs) What would I had? um, I had. I had someone reach out on one of my followers and they're asking what would, um, what should an aspiring writer know or what would you want them to know? Hmm. To always believe in yourself and the voice that's inside of you that's telling you to which way to write, hmm. which way you're writing. Always listen to that voice because that's your creative part of you that's really important to listen to. And, you know, I spent a lot of years, um, a lot of years not listening to that voice, hmm. right? everyone else wanted me to do but in fairness I had to do that as well because um I needed to eat mm-hmm. I needed to have a job you know like I'm a mom I've got kids um and I didn't have like um you know mentors or people before me that was looking out for me or getting mm-hmm. me a job like mm-hmm. that. so you know um, so I, I did what everyone wanted me to do as a writer for a long time. Um, and I sort of tried not to listen to that voice and put it away. Right. right. And when I stopped doing that, everything changed. Mm, that That's such a good point. I believe that's like your intuition, your inner guidance system. And I believe that's like a way of decolonizing how we approach work is to listen to that voice. But because we live in a colonial society, we're told like we need to abide by these certain rules. And some of them may be like, for me, it's perfectionism. I feel like that's something I constantly have to unlearn. Um, mm. And so I'm curious, how would you d- define decolonization um, in your own words? Hmm, that's a big question. Decolonization. Well, let's use what you just said as a jump off point. You know, um, I think that once you start listening to yourself, your true self, mm-hmm. um, you know, I often think that it's, it's, it was my ancestors that have been like sitting on my shoulder and poking me and saying, you know, this is where you need to go and this is what you need to do. 
And it's that intuition. And every time I listen to it, it never fails me. Mm. Never. And I think that that's what we all have to do. I think that's the way to decolonization. We know deep in our bones and in our blood what we need to do in order to be who we are. I know that that's my Anishinaabe then it becomes from that and it's in my blood. Mm-hmm. So I need to listen to that and to follow that. That's how we decolonize. We decolonize by doing things for ourselves too, like your show. You're mm-hmm. doing it for yourself and for other Kwe, other women, mm-hmm. right? I started my own company as well, Makwa uh, Creative. Same reasons why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's decolonization. And, you know, Murray Sinclair said that to me as well. He said that we, the systems of governance and colonizations do not work for us. We have to create our own path forward. And that's what you're doing. And that's what I hope I'm doing too. Mm-hmm. That's such a, yeah. The reason why I started the matriarch movement was because there was no space that held um, indigenous women's voices specifically or our healing process and our truth and our stories. Um, moving forward, you know, there's this idea of indigenous future and reimagining what a future for us looks like. And so when you hear the word indigenous futurism, um, what, what do you hope for in the future? More of our people leading the way, more of our people um, doing their own thing and succeeding and thriving and turning things around. You know, when you look at all of the incredible artistic voices we have in writing and painting and music and storytelling and community building, we really thrive, you know, and we are so, we're such a talented talented like everyone I know that's in this space is so incredible um and when I see the future I see more of that just coming forward you know and we're we're always work to the next generation and the seven generations right and that's what we're all doing because we know that change like someone my age um I'm 50 you know I have lived a while and it's from us, what we've learned is to you guys to go forward and to take what we've learned and see our mistakes and grow from that. Mm-hmm. And I, you're so right, like so much different than what we went through, which is totally different again from what our parents went through, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're making these massive leaps, I hope, I hope. And we have to make sure that our kids continue to get that way. So like a lot of us in like my age, that's what we work for, right? Is to make sure we have equity for our children um, and that our kids are given the best chance possible to be who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like coming back to that seven generation prophecy of always looking seven generations ahead. And I know you have a book called The Seven Fallen Feathers, and you also have the Audible series, Seven Truths. Uh, Could you touch on a little bit of the seven sacred teachings, if you feel comfortable? Mm -hmm. So the seven teachings um, are um, their love. Um, You know, they're they're just in English, they're just a word. And, um, but I I really think that if we were to take all of these words and listen to these words and think about these words every single day, when we wake up, 
you know, life is going to be just so much better, like for everybody, you know, um, for absolutely everybody. So the teachings are uh, love, humility, bravery, wisdom, respect, truth. You know, and I think I'm, I think I'm <laughs> honesty, honesty, honesty. And you know what? When you think of all those seven teachings, the most important one is truth. Because mm-hmm. when you follow those teachings, you know the truth. And that is how we feel as an Anishinaabe way. These teachings, if you live your life this way, it leads you to Bimadizawin, the good life. Mm-hmm. How to live a good life. Um, and that's not like how do you lead a life that will lead you to a pot of gold. This is how do you lead a life that makes you the best person you can be using your teachings and remembering everybody else in your group, mm-hmm. you know, and respecting the earth and the air mm-hmm. and that we all have a place in the continuum of life. So when I think of those seven teachings, I think of those things. I was listening to your last audible, um, podcast i don't know if it's called podcast but audible and it it tied it all up it was the truth and it was like this ties up and embodies all of the seven teachings and i believe this is the first step um when we talk about reconciliation or relationship building i feel like we first need to acknowledge the truth that's happened here within canada and so for non-indigenous folks that are listening and that want to support a pathway to reconciliation um what would your advice be for them Hmm. Yeah, reconciliation is so hard, isn't it? I mean, uh, truth is definitely where we need to go first, and we need to make sure the truth is told and the truth is accepted by everyone in society, in Canadian society, um, that your ears are open and that you're learning um, and you're relearning what you learned in the past. Um, And I, I think that you know, reconciliation is not for us to do. It is for non-Indigenous people to do. They have to do the work of reconciliation. Um, I, I do believe that. And uh, I've often said, and, I, and not to be a pessimist, I don't think we're ready for reconciliation yet because there's too much truth that needs to be mm-hmm. told. Um, and there's still too much happening. There's still like, too many of our people are still dying at the hands of the police. Our kids are still being apprehended. The treaties are still not being upheld. I mean, it just doesn't stop. And so there's going to be no reconciliation until all of all of this is made fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, acknowledging truth is one thing, but realizing that there's still so many things happening in our present day that have not been... Um, have not been acknowledged or have not received any kind of guidance or help from uh, whether it's the police or the government. And, you know, when you research a lot of these stories, um, I would probably find it really challenging on like your nervous system and just to hear um, these stories. And so how do you, how is it um, listening to these stories and how do you, um, I guess, transmute them into writing? Hmm. Um, you know, that's a great question. Uh, I appreciate that. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question before. 
Um, very insightful. Um, I think writing heals me. I think that I take a lot in and I think a lot about these things um, and I feel a lot and um, it heals me to write it down and to think about it and go over it. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I think that that's part of my healing as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's hard because for me, I think that's what I do is I kind of avoid some of the stories of even my own family because it's like um, it brings up a lot of emotion and a lot of things that maybe we I don't want to face, but it's needed in order to heal and to transmute and to transform. Um, and so your work today, moving forward into 2021, what does that look like for you? Uh, first off, it's May. How the heck did that happen? You know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know like, I, but it's just like it, and it's not just me. It's almost the end of me. Like, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I want to focus on um, uh, building uh, my company up. Um, I started a company, uh, and the reason why was to lift Indigenous voices up and to do it ourselves. Um, and so um, focusing on where we're going next is really exciting for me. Um, and um, I'm writing a book. I'm supposed to be writing a book right now. Um, then it's, uh, I have to finish it in six months. So, uh, <laughs> um, so that's going to be the rest of the year for me. But I'm really, really hoping that I can go back north, you know, and just mm -hmm. do that. Like I, right now I'm feeling that... Um, been a long pandemic <laughs> yeah it's been a long year um uh, just a couple more questions i'm curious how you actually get connected with like a publisher and how you actually get your book into like a formation and out there in the world you know um with me it was it was blind luck um uh, my I, since i worked in the newsroom i uh, sat beside michelle shepherd who is one of my dearest friends and she was the terrorism reporter at the toronto star and she had gone out to speak with um uh, Janie Yoon, who was with House of Anansi at the time, she was an editor there. Um, they went for lunch because Janie wanted Michelle to do a book. Um, and Michelle at the lunch, she didn't really want to at that time. She said, you should talk to my friend Tanya. My friend Tanya has a lot of stories that need to be in a book. And so she was the one that made that introduction for me. Mm. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm forever grateful to Michelle for that. Um, and that's what we have to do, you know. Um, we have to introduce people to our editors and say, this is someone you need to talk to. Um, it's not easy, you know. Like, you can send blind pitches to people. You could try and find an agent who will send blind pitches for you. And then they'll negotiate a contract and then take 30% of it. So we have to be careful with that, too. Um, you know, I think mentorship's really important. Um, and as such, actually, we just started the Indigenous Writers Circle, a mentorship program, excuse me, um, with Richard Van Camp, Chelsea Vowell, um, Norma Dunning, Kim Wheeler. It's going to be super great. And um, that's the aim is to like, how do we hook up people with mm -hmm. publishers out there, um, editors, as it's not easy, the publishing industry is like, it's this big monster thingy, right? You know, and to be honest with you, it's, it's pretty white, big monster thingy, you know, like it's this big colonial structure. It's like, 
that that was going to be my next question because I feel like that's within networks and TV, but I would imagine it's the same on the other side of the things as well. And I actually took, um, I shadowed to be a, a journalist and I, I was the opposite of you. I realized like journalism is not for me. Like I'm not, I wasn't into like all the writing and the research. Um, but I, I, um, I'm grateful for the ones that do it because <laughs> there's a lot of work that happens behind the scenes that you don't realize. And we touched on a little bit about mentorship. And I'm curious, who are some of the mentors that have helped you in your whole career today? And then if you could define the word matriarch and if there's any matriarchs in your life as well. Oh, yeah. All oh, those are good questions. Um, mentors. When I was a journalist, I had reporting mentors, people that, you know, they were actually friends that I looked up to, people that sort of showed me the way. Um, and I'm eternally grateful to them for their help. Um, you know, because uh, there was, when I went to the Star um, in 1995, there were no other Indians in the room. Mm-hmm. Um the indigenous issues was reported on by white people <laughs> and um, yeah. And there wasn't that much of an appetite for it. Right. So it was hard and I'm grateful to the people that did take me under their wing and sort of believed in the stories I could tell. Um, and uh, other than that, I would say I look up to people like Lee Miracle um, absolutely. She's a friend. She's become a friend of mine, but she is someone that always gives me strength and, um, and hope. And some of the women that I've worked with in the film industry that I've just sort of delved into or dove into, um, uh, Michelle DeRosier, the co-director mm-hmm. on our film, has taught me so much. Um, Jennifer Pademski. Um, I would say... Even though Michelle is my age, and I do believe I am older than Jennifer, I would look at them as as mentors for sure, because like there are so few of us, right? Mm-hmm. It's like very small. Uh, and matriarch. Um, that's such an important question. Um, my mother. If it weren't for the strength of my mother, I would not be here today. Mm-hmm. For the she made in her life for all that she went through and she mm-hmm. lived through she taught us what it meant to love and to get an education to always keep striving and that she taught us that we were just as good as everybody else if not better mm-hmm. going um, and she didn't have any of those opportunities but she made damn sure her kids did mm-hmm. And so I would say all of the women actually know that. That is my And so, yeah. Uh, the film we just did, uh, Spirit Asor, Mishkawi Manadu, Benadizalin. Um, I didn't realize I was doing this till it was over, but it's a film about mothers. Mm. It's about the women in our communities and what we've lost and what we've endured and what we continue to fight for. Um, and I didn't realize that till actually almost the film was done. It was like, like what have, what have I done? This is the film that's become. It's a it's a film that's actually celebrates and looks at the strength of our mothers. Mm. 
And is that one, has that one come out yet? Or is that going to come out? It's going to be on CBC in the next several weeks. I think it's the end of May, beginning of June. We're still rushing to finish the film, actually. It's been frozen <laughs> hot dogs. Uh, we had a feature cut for that, but now we've got to, to do an hour-length version for um, the CBC. And it'll be also on CBC Gem. Oh, awesome. I'm going to have to look out for that. I count. That's awesome that it came to just shift into a no, whole nother um, thing about mothers. That was going to be my last question is like, what stories do you want to tell um, that you haven't told yet? So many of those. I want to tell some more stories of the land and of, uh, what our elders know in relation to what they're seeing out there with the land and with the uh, climate, with the air, the earth, the animals. I want to tell those stories. Um, and I have to say, I just, I'm kind of on this same path of continuing to tell stories of our people. Mm-hmm. Our people from, um, I will always do that with, you know, with, if I'm still honored to do that by the people I know, I will continue for sure. Well, you have a lot of exciting things coming up and you have done a lot of great work and I've loved listening to your journey and your stories and your lessons. Uh, If people can follow you or how can they support your work uh, moving forward? Rich, um, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Tanya Talaga. So it's T-A-N-Y-A-T-A-L-A-G-A. And you can also find us on, uh, go to the Spirit to Soar or our, our Makwa Creative website. So, yeah, you can find us there. And last question. I'm curious, what is your horoscope sign? Oh. (laughs) It's like, I I don't know. It's my new thing. I want to find out people's signs. Yes. Yes. I don't know. That's why why I'm asking. Um, A Virgo? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your energy and for your time today. Uh, and I'm looking forward to all of the amazing things that you're doing, like, and you're going to continue to do. Hi. Well done. <laughs> hi, hi. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at Shayla0h at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and rate where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in.